Yes, good evening. Um, just a small uh, portion of uh, Luke chapter 5 to round off our sermon series as we look at one more narrative in uh, the uh, events we've been uh, discussing over the last few weeks. So this is uh, Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, ending at verse 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Hello, is this on? Woo, okay, cool. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. Nice to meet you. Hi. Uh, I want you to turn to the person next to you before we uh, explain that passage. Uh, say hello, mention your name, and then ask them this question. Uh, the question will come up on the screen right now, but let me explain it to you because it's a bit of a weird one. Uh, I want you to pretend that that storm kept on going that was existing before, uh, and instead that storm went so big that there was an earthquake and then a tsunami came, and that tsunami was coming to wipe out every one of us in this room in like two minutes' time. And yet at the same time, marvelously, there was a helicopter outside that was going to pick up only like five people in this room. And so turn to the person next to you and discuss who should be saved. Okay, and specifically think through, you know, should, if there's anyone here healthy or sick, should they be saved? Anyway, have a chat, determine who should be saved. Hopefully you'll say me. All right. All righty. Uh, so feel free uh, to continue this conversation uh, over dinner. Uh, feel free to tell people who would be on your list if you're really keen. Um, but anyway, I'm going to pray for us right now uh, before we dig into God's Word. And so if you'd like to pray with me, that'd be great. Uh, prayer is just a time where we talk with God. Uh, and if you agree with what I say, just say amen at the end. Uh, so how about we pray? Uh, Father God, we want to thank you so much uh, for your Word. And as we come to it right now, we pray that by your Spirit, you may illuminate it to us. Uh, Father, we pray if we have any layers between us and you, Lord, that you may remove them. Uh, Spirit, we pray that you may convict us um, of our sin, but also uh, enlighten us to the greatness of our Savior, uh, Jesus. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you so much for this time. It really is a joy and privilege for us. And so we pray that you be with us. We pray that you teach us. We pray that you change us and that you move us to worship you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called Radio Lab. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. It's really good. Recommend it. You should watch it. I will listen to it. Uh, and on it, there's one episode called Playing God. And it's one of my favorite episodes. And in this episode, specifically, they focus in on Hurricane Katrina. Now, 
If you're not too sure about Hurricane Katrina, uh, well, it's probably one of the worst hurricanes in the USA's history, maybe, maybe the world's history, I'm not too sure. Uh, it caused about $100 billion worth of damage uh, to the city of New Orleans, and it killed, I think, 1,245 people or thereabouts. Uh, this was a hurricane that absolutely devastated this city, and it brought chaos and anarchy. And specifically in this um, podcast called Playing God, they focus in on a hospital that was in New Orleans, a hospital called the Memorial Medical Center. Uh, there'll be a photo up on the screen. Uh, you can sort of see the, the, the waters below. Um, and basically what this podcast was talking about was the situation in which the doctors in this hospital were in. You see, the hurricane hit, and at the time, there was about 2,000 people in this hospital. Uh, there was uh, sick people, there was obviously staff, there was visitors, uh, and for some reason, even the staff had their pets there because uh, they knew that the hurricane was going to hit. Uh, so there was a lot of people in this hospital when it occurred. Um, and obviously, when the hurricane hit, there was chaos throughout the whole entire city. And so the emergency services uh, were running off their feet. They're putting boats everywhere to save people, helicopters, helicopters to save people. And, and originally, they saved about 60 people from this hospital immediately after the hurricane. But then there were so many people in need. What occurred in this hospital, the 2,000 people, is they thought they were okay because they had backup generators. Uh, but unfortunately, the engineers who designed this building put the circuit boards in the basement for these backup generators. Uh, and so as the waters increased and took over those basements, that was the end of the power generators. Uh, and as a result, this hospital was in darkness without power. When that happened, five people immediately died because they had vent uh, powered ventilations, which uh, just switched off, and that was the end of those people, unfortunately. And as you can imagine, a hospital has got 2,000 people is now in an absolute chaos with no lights, no power. There's buttons going off everywhere as you know, uh, machines are switching to batteries, which are going to eventually, obviously, run out. On day three, I think it was, after the power went out, um, obviously, it was, things were pretty grim. They got to day four, and, they, and it's still um, boats and helicopters were not coming. They were listening to the radio, and there was just some really scary things on the radio. People were saying it was like martial law and different things, and people started to freak out. They're not too sure how long it's going to be until rescue comes. But rescue was coming occasionally, and so the doctors had a choice to make. The choice was who do they save in this time of emergency? And so with the doctor's limited resources and also with emergency services' limited resources, the staff and the doctors had to do triage. If you're not too sure what triage is, triage is a French word, uh, which means to sort. Uh, and so that's what the doctors did. They sorted these patients or these people. And the way they did it was they had a one, two, three system. Uh, if you were healthy, you got given a number one. If you were a recovering uh, patient in the hospital and, you know, mobile, you got number two. And if you were a critical patient uh, who needed a lot of help and care or someone who had a do not resuscitate uh, order, or I'm not too sure, I should have clarified the Dr. Nick beforehand, uh, you also were given number three. What ended up happening is uh, if a boat came, number one left. If a helicopter came, number two left. And if you're number three, well, you were very low on the priorities. What ended up happening is about 40 people ended up dying in this hospital, and about 20 of them were people in that number three category. And unfortunately, some of them were even euthanized, and they hypothesized not by their choice. Uh, what went on in this hospital was crazy, and on that day, the staff had to make a decision as to who did we save in this time of crisis. Do we save the healthy, or do we save the sick? They obviously chose the healthy. Uh, there's another time, though, I think it was uh, in a war which was in um, Kosovo, uh, and at that time they chose to save the sick, but then as a result some of the healthy passed away. It's a really difficult question. 
And you know what's really interesting is we come to uh, today's Bible reading, as we look at Luke chapter 5, we get introduced to Dr. Jesus, the doctor. And you know what? He comes and he tells us an answer to what he's, I guess, to the question of who would he save when it comes to the healthy or the sick. And so that reason, we're going to look at this passage today and we're going to learn about Jesus and what sort of doctor he is and who he came to save, be it the healthy or the sick. And so if you have your Bible, open them up. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5. We're going to go, go through this story and then I'm going to talk about it, uh, give you some comments, and then we'll apply it at the end. And so let's have a look, Luke chapter 5, and we'll look at the first two verses. will come up on the screen. Uh, it says this, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now let's stop there for a second. You know how it says, after this? Uh, it's important we understand what came before this passage. And so last week, I talked about how Jesus changes people. And specifically in the third story, we looked at how Jesus healed the paralytic and how Jesus forgave the paralytic of his sins. Now, when Jesus did that, the audience at the time were the religious people in Jerusalem or in Jesus' day. The religious people being the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, if you're not too sure who they are, let me explain this to you. Uh, the scribes are like the theologians. They're like the uh, theologically trained. They, they've, been, they've gone to seminary or Bible college. Like they studied, I know, um, they've gone to uh, study for like five, six years. These are like the geeks who love footnotes. Uh, these are the sort of guys who, when they do, you know, write essays or different things, you know, they do, they do it manually in regards to references. They don't use a program because it's that keen. They just want to reference everything. They're really astute. These are the sort of guys who had memorized books of the Bible. You know, they love the law of God so much that they'd make up other rules so that people would follow them. The scribes were influential people. They were, they were famous people. You know, if they were around today and the people cared about them, they would have the most Twitter followers, most Facebook friends. You know, these are the sort of people that people would want to learn from. And specifically, the people that would want to follow them and learn from them were the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were also religious leaders, and they were kind of a big deal, but they weren't so much theologically trained. They were more like practitioners. They were more like the everyday, I don't know, Joe and Jane who were just really passionate about their faith. And they would follow scribes. Matter of fact, they would pay the scribes so they could follow them and learn from them. So they can learn their practices and their teaching. And so these are the, the religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees. They were influential, they were important. A lot of them were quite rich. And in society, you, you wanted your kids to grow up to be a scribe or Pharisee, if that was an, an, an option. Just like today, we want them to be doctors or lawyers or different things. And so, with all that in mind... What happens is after Jesus does this miracle in front of these religious guys, these important people, what does Jesus do? Well, what we see is he goes to a tax booth, meets a guy called Levi, and he says to him, follow me. See, what's going on here is Jesus is an important teacher. He's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, you know, and people want to follow him. But people also want to be known as one of his followers, and so the Pharisees, they would have been like, oh, okay, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to learn from his school. I could come so rich if I could cast out demons like him or do miracles like he's doing. And so they're awaiting Jesus' request to come follow him. But instead, he leaves the building where the religious people are, and he goes to a tax collector. Now, uh, today, tax collectors, uh, I don't think are hated. Uh, I think it's all digitally done these days of ATO, so we don't really think about them. But uh, back in Jesus' day, the tax collectors were like the scum of society. You see, back then, the Jews were, I guess, um, uh, were, sorry, occupied, I don't know if that's the right word, in, in, no, being ruled by the Romans. And so the Romans were ruling the Jews and taking taxes from the Jews. 
And what would occur is that there'd be actually a Jewish tax collector who would gather money for the Romans, in other words, take money from his own people and go give it to their enemies. You see, people hated tax collectors. And a lot of them were criminals. So they were crook. They took more than they needed to so they could get some more for themselves. And so as a result, people didn't like them. But also as a result, they were dodgy. And they had dodgy friends. And so with all that in mind, Jesus goes to Levi. And what occurs? Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. We see that Levi followed Jesus, just like Peter, James, and John last week. But let's also see what Levi does, which is really interesting. Cover on the screen, the Bible. Let's look through it. Verse 29 to 30 says this. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? You see, Levi meets Jesus. Levi is blown away by how, who Jesus is. And so he wants his friends to come to know Jesus too. And so what he does is he throws a party. And it's a big party, right? Like it's a party of the year. Like notice how it says it's a great banquet. Like, I don't think I've ever been to a banquet. I'd love to go to a banquet, you know? And it's like a large crowd. Like this is a party. He's inviting all his friends over you know, like he's cleaning his house. He's, you know, vacuuming, getting the Dyson out and vacuuming it all up. Like he's getting some cutlery ready. He's maybe getting a barista in to make some good coffee. You know, maybe hiring someone in to get some pork rolls going. Like, you know, he's keen. He wants to tell people about Jesus. He wants them to come to know him. And everyone's excited about this party, right? Like people are keen to go. They're like, yeah, Levi, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's have, this would be a cool party. And, but not everyone's excited. See, the Pharisees are not Matter of fact, they complain about this party. And they don't necessarily complain about the loud music, but instead they complain about the guests. You see, notice their complaint. They go to Jesus' disciples, which is uh, James, uh, Peter, and John, and they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, why are the Jewish religious leaders complaining? Two reasons. One, they're jealous. They're jealous. You know, like they wanted to have a party with Jesus. They wanted to be eating with Jesus. They wanted to be doing a Bible quiz with Jesus. They wanted to be going through the Hebrew and figuring out, you know, how do we apply the law in this case and that case? You know, they were jealous. They were jealous. They wanted the special attention, you know, like they wanted to follow Jesus. They were special people in their society. And so Jesus should have selected them. Number one, they're jealous. That's why they complain. But number two, they're appalled. They're appalled. And they reported the guests who were at this party. You see, Levi, because he was a dodgy person, was friends with dodgy people. You know, he wasn't friends with the lawyers and the solicitors or, you know, I don't know, the uh, politicians or, I don't know, people high standing in our society on a good salary. Like, this was a dodgy man. You know, I wonder if you ever noticed that we all have friends with, with people who are like us. Uh, that shouldn't shock you. Uh, well, or maybe it should shock you if you're thinking my friends are a bit boring uh, what does that say about you? I'm not too sure. But for Levi, he had dodgy friends because he was dodgy. You know, we don't know for sure, but at this party, potentially there was criminals. Potentially there was prostitutes, potentially an equivalent drug dealers or gangsters. You know, these are people who are the filth of society. These are sinners. And they're appalled at the guests who are at the party, but they're also appalled at Jesus. 
You know, he claims to be God, who claims to be this holy man. Why would he eat with unholy people? Why would he drink with unholy people? Why would he do this? Why would he befriend sinners rather than quarantine himself from them? You see, they're appalled. They're appalled. Which, which begs the question, why is Jesus actually eating and drinking with these sinners? Why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, this might be offensive, and I apologize if it is. Uh, uh, I don't know about you, but personally, I really don't like uh, hospitals or doctor surgeries. Um, I just don't like it. Like in my spare time, I don't want to go there. I know it sounds really mean, but I just don't. Uh, in particular, the reason why I don't like them is because uh, there's sick people there. Um, like, I don't like it when you go to the doctor's surgery and you're waiting for the doctor and there's like people sneezing, coughing, and just being sick. Uh, and you just feel sick being in their presence. I just, like, I love them, but I don't like that situation. I, I don't, I don't want to be there. Uh, and it's the same at hospitals. So I'm sorry if you're a doctor or a nurse or, or that's your occupation. It sucks for you. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I just don't like it. Um, but at the same time, I am glad when I have gone to the hospital, when I have gone to the doctor's surgery, I am glad that there are sick, sick people there. You know, like it would be really weird if they had like a policy that said like no sick people allowed. Like that would just be really strange. Like it would be really weird if I was to meet up and have coffee with Dr. Nick and he just told me that like, yeah, I've had no surgeries. Uh, I've just been drinking coffee with other surgeons and we're just really bored. Or it would be weird like, you know, going to another doctor and, and all he's doing is giving out sickers to people because they're healthy and they're like, good job. Like, that would be really weird. And I'm glad that's not the case. Like, I am glad, as much as I don't like hospitals, that there are sick people there. Now, why am I saying this? Well, I'm saying this because Jesus is a doctor. Let's have a look at what Jesus says in response to the Pharisees' complaint. Let's have a look. Verse 31. Jesus says this. Even though uh, it's interesting here that Pharisees are talking to his disciples. I don't know if Jesus overheard them or just Jesus knows. But this is what Jesus says. He says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus is using a metaphor here to just say, basically, hey, look, I am a doctor. Matter of fact, I am the doctor. And I have come to heal people of their greatest disease, their greatest sickness of sin. You see, Jesus comes to save sinners. He comes to heal the sick. He comes to help the hopeless. He comes to deliver the desperate. That's who Jesus is. He's a doctor that comes and brings hope. Like, what a terrible doctor he would be if he came to help the healthy who didn't need him. Jesus came to save sinners. That's the big idea of this text, and, and I hope you never forget that, because it's true. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to heal the sick, in other words. You see, the Pharisees, they don't get this. You know, the Pharisees don't understand God's grace. The Pharisees think that they're special, you know, that they've earned their right for, for them to be able to follow God, for people to respect them. They don't understand that God is a God of grace. They don't understand that God choos chooses the lowly, the weak, the despised, the desperate to shame the strong. God picks nobodies and he loves them. That's my story. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's your story as well. You see, religious people don't get that. They're like, how in the world could a holy God love such unholy people? How, how could God do this? They don't understand that God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace. They don't understand that God doesn't love people who are lovely, but instead God loves people so they become lovely in his eyes. Pharisees just don't get this. They think that earning God's love is what it's about. It's not about receiving God's love in grace. 
And Jesus uh, responds to this by, you know, saying what he says, which I find is just really intriguing. Like, no one speaks like Jesus speaks. Uh, in particular, I find this interesting because when he says this in 31, he says, not the healthy who need a doctor, uh, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, I, I don't think Jesus would have used this terminology, but he's using like a compliment here. Um, I don't know if you know what that is. It's, uh, for those of you who don't, uh, it's a backhanded compliment. Um, and what basically Jesus is saying here is, it would have confused the Pharisees. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, we're righteous. Oh, oh wait a minute. Is that a bad thing? Um, if you're still not sure what a compassault is, uh, let me give you an example. It should come up on the screen. Uh, this is one. Uh, you look good uh, when you wear makeup. Uh, obviously implying you don't look good when you don't wear makeup. Um, I thought I received a compassault today by Kevin Liu, if you know him. Uh, I was wearing chinos this morning at church, and he said to me, oh, I didn't know chinos were still in. Um, and I was like, wait a minute, that's just an insult. So, but anyway, so that's maybe not a compassault. But you see, what Jesus is doing here is making the, the Pharisees think. He's making the Pharisees think. And this is why they needed to think. They needed to think because of this problem. The problem is this. They're not as righteous as they thought. They're not as righteous as they thought. And can I dare only say we're the same. We can be the same. You see, all of us here, the Bible tells us, have sinned in word, thought, action, or deed. All of us have done things that we wish we didn't do. All of us have not done things that we wish we did do. You see, the problem is, is just like these Pharisees, all of us, even if we don't like to admit it, are sick and in need of a healer, are sinners in need of a saver. And to make the problem worse, so unfortunately, we don't like this diagnostic. We don't like it when even people like myself say this to us, that we are sick and need a doctor, we're a sinner and need a savior. We don't like it. The religious people don't like it. They want to be like, no, 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 I'm holy. I know the scriptures. I'm not a sinner. I'm a righteous person. And if you're not a churchgoer, welcome if that's you. But my guess is, is you also don't like it when people point out your sin or point out when you're wrong. I don't know about you, but whenever someone says to me, Joel, you've done something, like I just want to blame someone else. You know, I just want to blame Nick or anyone. I don't know. Like I just want to like it was him. Or if I can't blame someone else, I just want to justify my actions. Uh, probably didn't say, well, Nick also did it. You know, like, we're always trying to shift the blame. It's just human nature, isn't it? And I think, truth be told, we just have too high of an opinion of who we are. Uh, let me use an analogy to explain this to you. Uh, I'm going to read this because this, this is hard to say. Uh, in the National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., okay, uh, the largest flawless quartz sphere is there in the entire world. Here's a photo of it. There's no scratches. There's no marks. It is perfect. It is perfect. You know, I think sometimes we can think of ourselves like this ball, which is just a little bit bigger than a basketball. You know, over time, it may get, you know, a little bit dirty on the outside, may get some dust. But if you just wipe that away, on the inside, there's perfect, there's perfection, there's goodness. There's no sickness. And yet the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that we are spiritually sick of sin and we need to be healed. And unfortunately, religious people feel like they can heal themselves through their religion. Or maybe today people believe they can heal themselves through, I guess, I know, self-help books or through psychology. Yet the scriptures teach us actually that the disease we have is not one that we can cure, we can fix. It's not like a cold and you take cold and flu tablets. But instead the disease we have is more like an autoimmune disease. It's one where the problem is not outside of us, but the problem is ourself. And what we need is a perfect doctor. What we need is a perfect healer to come and to fix us and to remove the sickness we have. 
And the good news of the gospel is exactly that, is that Jesus Christ is the ultimate doctor, one who sacrificed himself for the sake of his patience, so that sickness may be removed of sin, as he takes that on our behalf, and then he gives us clean health in his righteousness and his perfection. That's what Christ does at the cross. You see, Jesus saves sinners. Sinners like Levi, like Levi's friends, like the religious people here, like me, and also like you. But to receive such salvation, to receive such forgiveness of sins and healing, we need to acknowledge our sickness, we need to repent of our sin, and we need to actually accept the diagnostic that Jesus gives. You know, in our Google age, how often is it we hear a doctor give us a diagnostic and we just be like, nah, Google tells us something different. And so it's the same in here. We'd be like, nah, I'm not actually as bad as what the scriptures say. The call is for us to repent, to trust in Jesus, the healer, the doctor. C.S. Lewis, uh, he's a guy who's written a few books, Chronicles of Narnia and different things. He's a Christian man. He's got a lot of good quotes. I love quoting him. Uh, this is a good quote of his. Uh, he says, Christianity tells people to repent and then promises them forgiveness. It has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know they have done anything to repent of and who do not feel that they need any forgiveness. Repentance in particular in Luke's Gospel, tonight's the last sermon in this series, uh, but in, throughout Luke's Gospel, repentance is a key theme. It's a key theme for what it looks like to follow Jesus. And if you're unsure what repentance is, let me briefly explain it to you. It's like doing a U-turn. It, it begins through confession, when you confess your sins to God and acknowledge them. And then moves on to, to uh, contrition, when you actually uh, feel guilty for what you did, but also repulsed by what you did. And then it moves to change as well. Confession, contrition, change. And so for those of us here tonight who don't follow Jesus, uh, my plea to you is to repent. Because Jesus is the ultimate doctor. Jesus will heal you. He will give you eternal life and joy in this life as well. But for those of us who are also Christians, my plea to you is to repent. Martin Luther, uh, who was someone very famous in the Reformation about 500 years ago, said this in regards to Christianity. He said, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. It's one of repentance. All of the Christian's life. It's how you begin being a Christian. It's how you maintain and keep going as a Christian. And so I think it's appropriate for us as we listen and read this passage that we respond in repentance. And maybe it's the Holy Spirit convicting you of a sin tonight. Maybe if you're still unsure and you're like, Joel, I'm, I don't know what sin it could possibly be. Let me give you two that are potential for you to reflect and think about, especially if you're a Christian here tonight. Uh, the first one is this, is are you ever religious, judgmental, hard-hearted, unloving, like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees? Do you ever like judge people who are outside of the church and not love them and care for them and think that you're better than them? Secondly, so sin of religion maybe, and the second one is the sin of apathy towards God's mission. Do you just not care about keep people coming to hear the good news of the great healer? Does your life not look like you actually care about that as well? You see, in this passage, the big idea is pretty simple. Jesus saves sinners. That's a big idea. And the way we apply it is basically, number one, we get saved through Jesus. We repent of our sin, follow him. But then number two, because Jesus saves sinners and he wants us to follow him in doing this, we've got to get on board with God's mission. And so specifically, as we come towards the end of this series in Luke's Gospel, as we have Easter coming up next week, and we get to focus on the cross, and then after Easter, we're going to actually have some apologetic series, and I was going to have some tough questions, maybe about suffering and different things. And then after that, we're going to have a G4G at Hope Theatre at the university, where we should be inviting our friends along to. 
And then after that, we're going to have a Discover course, which is for people to learn about Jesus. As we approach this season in our church life, I think it's appropriate for us to think through, how can we be a missionary like Jesus? How can we be a missionary like Jesus? Because you see, Jesus said he was sent by the Father, and so now Jesus sends us to be on his mission. And so I've got four steps for you on how to do that, how to be a missionary like Jesus. They all start with the letter F, well, or have F in there, uh, so for alliteration purposes and for you to digest it. Uh, and so let's go through these things as a, as a practical way to sort of conclude the sermon. Uh, number one, if we're to be on mission for Jesus, you need to begin by following Jesus. I know that's basic, but it's true. Uh, recently, I went on an um, airplane uh, to Brisbane. Uh, and whenever you go on an airplane, there's always air hostess and they give you instructions while you probably listen to music and not really listening. Uh, but when they give you instructions, they say to you, in a case of emergency, in the gas, not gas mask, uh, oxygen mask, <laughs> calm down, uh, that you should put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help others. When it comes to being on mission for Jesus, the exact same thing. Firstly, you follow Jesus, you love him, you repent of your sin, you read the word, you gather with his people, you grow in your love for Jesus. Then you go tell others about how good God is. And so can I ask you, are you following Jesus? Are you growing your love for him? You want to do that before you can be a missionary for Jesus. Step number two, have a feast. Have a feast. I also love that word. I want to have a feast. Um, I think sometimes as Christians, we can forget that having parties is a great form of ministry. Just having parties, having people over, just showing hospitality is a great way to love people, but also it's a great way to well, introduce people to Jesus. And so can I encourage you to have parties? Can I encourage you to pursue friends just like Jesus pursued Levi? You know, can I encourage you to have people over at your house to love them, be generous to them, feed them, you know, really care for people, be generous to them. Specifically uh, for a lot of us, uh, well not a lot of us, but for those of us here who maybe own houses or for those of you who want to own a house in the future, um, can I just point out a danger in our society? And the danger is this, is that our homes become functional heavens. Our homes become functional heavens where we want our houses to look nice and pretty and we don't want them to be chaotic. When truth be told, it's not heaven. Heaven is to come. Your houses are tools for you to introduce people to Jesus. And so if you've got a nice house, that's great. If you've got a nice couch, that's great. But what a shame if on that couch, you didn't get the opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. Then on that dining table, you didn't get to welcome your neighbors over and love them and care for them and just invest in their lives. Be aware of the danger of turning your house into an idol and welcome people, love people. I know some of you do this incredibly well. And so keep on doing it. Can I encourage you? And I'm thankful for you. But I think a truth we can sometimes forget is that a lot of people belong to the church community before they believe. So love people, feed people, good food too, okay? Look after them, have a feast, invite me. All right, number three, free up time. I think sometimes as Christians, we just focus so much on being around Christian people that we don't want to be around people who don't know Jesus. And it's just a shame. Like honestly, like these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they already knew God, you know, and yet they didn't want Jesus to be around people who needed God. Instead, they wanted to have another Bible study. They wanted to have another theological discussion with Jesus. And I think sometimes as Christians, sometimes we spend too much time in church life, in Christian life, that we don't actually have time to spend time with people outside of church. Now, look, don't hear me say this. You've got time to come to church. You've got time to join a home group. You've got time to serve in church. But also, there's a temptation for you to like, overcommit to so many things, overcommit to so many activities. You don't have time just to love people and have them over your house. Not only just time, but energy. And so free up time. Do what you can to free up time. Step number four, focus on Jesus. 
I think unfortunately as Christians, too often we can be known for what we're against and not for what we're for. You know, what I find interesting in this passage is Jesus would have had some awkward conversations. If he's around prostitutes or uh, drug deals or different things at this party, and yet, you know what, I think he just would have loved them and cared for them and told them who he was. And it's the same for us. The Spirit will convict people of sin. Our job is not to proclaim what Christianity is against, but what it's for. for. So let's focus on Jesus. And know that you're going to come across people with colorful language, colorful jokes, and that's okay. We want to point them to Jesus. I want to point them to Jesus. And the final encouragement I want to say on this is you're not Jesus, by the way. If you're a Christian who wants to pursue this, you want to be on mission for him, can I remind you that you're not Jesus? Okay, so if you go to work tomorrow and you go up to someone and you say, follow me as I follow Jesus, might not work. Someone might throw something at you. Like it might not work. Jesus does that. People drop everything. They follow him. It might not happen with you. Okay, what I want to comfort you is say this is that you don't, you're not called to save the world. That was Jesus' job. Instead, you're called to respond in faithfulness like Levi. Talk to your friends about Jesus. Love them. Care for them. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, which I mentioned at the start of the sermon, uh, obviously was quite an incredible event. And it actually was like a wake-up call to the U.S. government and also to their states. as uh, about how do they respond in emergencies and what sort of triage systems should they have. Uh, specifically, the state of Maryland uh, found this question of who do we save in times of emergency really difficult. And so what they did is they created like a forum or like a town hall meeting where they got like all ordinary people of life to come in and to discuss the questions of who do we save in time of emergency. And in this scenario, what they basically kept on saying uh, to the people is, we want you to base your decision of uh, if people are healthy or people are sick. We don't want you to base your decision of the fact of people's social status, their citizenship status, maybe their criminal record. We want you to focus on their physical condition. Should we save the healthy or should we save the sick? And what was really interesting is they just couldn't come up with a decision. But also what was really interesting is that people kept on going back to whether or not people deserve to be saved. I remember listening to this podcast and there was a lady talking about her, how a pastor, I was like, yes, uh, should be saved over an alcoholic and saying how the pastor would do greater good in the society compared to this selfish alcoholic. And then someone like sort of rebuked her or, or like counted her and said, you know what, I actually want my hairdresser to be saved over my pastor. I think she'll make a greater difference in society. And I think she deserves it more so. It was so hard for them actually to stick to the question of who deserves to be saved, the healthy or the sick. They wanted to talk about who deserved to be saved. And so church, can I remind you of the gospel and how the ground is level at the cross and how none of us are as righteous as these Pharisees proclaim, how all of us are sick and the need of a savior. All of us are in need of the perfect doctor, that Jesus is the hero, that Christianity is about grace. It is about following Jesus, praising him for what he has done. And so may we not look at people and go, you don't deserve Jesus, but instead may we look at people and go, you need Jesus. You need him, just like I do. How about I pray to close? Father God, we thank you so much for the goodness of the gospel. We thank you so much for how the ground is level at the cross. We thank you so much for your grace and mercy to us. And Lord, for those of us who don't know you, Lord, I pray that uh, you help people to know you and to ask questions about you and to learn about who you are. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, I pray you help us to live a life of repentance, to live a life that understands the gospel and how it should change us and help us to be on mission by your spirit for Jesus' glory. Remind us that we're not Jesus, but encourage us to know we can be like him. Lord, we love you and we love our city. And we want more and more people to know and love you because you change people's lives. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.